This episode of Moment is brought to you by Showtime's Billions. Man, these are my favorite ads to do. These might be the only ads that I've really just loved doing because Billings is a show that I, I created along with Andrew Ross Sorkin and David Levine. I don't know if it's episode three or four this weekend, but let me just tell you, each of those episodes, man, that's some good television. Check it out, Showtime, 10 o'clock Sunday nights or on Showtime On Demand, Billions, sponsor of this week's episode of The Moment. The following podcast contains explicit language. Hey, show's going to start in a second. This is not an ad. This is a request. The request is, uh, if you're listening to this show in the Slate feed, subscribe to it so that you never miss it and you know when it comes. Subscribe at iTunes.com slash the moment. iTunes.com slash the moment. That's the feed for this particular uh, show so that you're not getting it in the Slate feed. That's to just get it directly uh, from me. Still part of Slate Panoply Network, but you'll just get it direct from me. Subscribe. It helps me. It helps the show. And leave a positive review on iTunes. Sometimes it's really helpful in, in ways that aren't immediately apparent if you talk about the thing on iTunes. Rate it. Review it. Really appreciate it. Thanks. Hey, this is The Moment. I'm Brian Koppelman. Thanks for listening. Today's guest is Donnie Deutsch. I, I think I barely needs an introduction. You either know him if you're someone who's interested in business as one of the most successful advertising people ever built a gigantic company and sold it. Uh, if you watch television, you remember The Big Idea with Donnie Deutsch. Or maybe you just know him as the star of his own sitcom, Donnie, which is on USA. Or you, you know, if you're interested in politics, you see him on Morning Joe. So, and, and if you live or, in New York... Or if you see me stumbling down the street. I was going to say, if you, if you live in New York and you're out around 3 in the morning, yeah, you, could you, see somewhere you see usually like a very tall woman, and then somewhere near her, you'll see Donnie. on the ground, yeah. yeah. What's up, buddy? Thanks for being, thanks for having me. I'm a big fan of yours. Uh, thanks. And me too. I, I, you know, I, you and I have met a bunch of times. We don't really know each other, but have sort of passed always at very interesting points in our lives. Yeah. We're, you know, we're two Jewish guys from, from Queens or from Long Island, and... I actually, your dad, I was, he was a client of mine at one point. I don't know if you know this. When I had my agency, we were doing- You did um, this like fake, I remember, uh, just walking here this morning, talk closer to the mic, but just walking here this morning, I remembered there was an old guy's probably like, you know, uh, fake presidential campaign or something. Yes, we did that. We did a thing for him for, we did these this love song compilation. This is when he was running one, one of the record companies. We, we had like a fake shrink doing it. That was it. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I remember and, that guy. Um, so I know him and then we became friendly. I, I mean, so there's a million A million connect, points of connection. But I, but I want to start right away. You know, you're, when, you, when I watch you talk to people on, on television... You have this way of getting right to the heart of stuff that's like just under the under the surface. And uh-huh. I, so you walked in, you looked at me, and you said, "How's your father?" Right, because you know my dad. Uh-huh. And then you said, "Like va- I just lost my dad." You said about yourself, right. I, "I really valued him." And immediately, like your empathy is just on the table. You're connecting with me in a really deep that's way kind. because you, I've been thinking a lot about spending time with my dad. Right. Has that always been the way you've been able to go through life? Yeah, I, and it's not calculated. I'm just really interested in people. I know it sounds like such a goofy, corny thing to say. I, I That was my success in business is being able to understand people, whether it was managing people and understanding what was important to them and what mattered to them, what was a win for them, and, and so be able to kind of bring out the best of them that way, whether it, it's in my social, personal life, whether it's being a parent, um, that you can't effectively connect with people unless – you're genuinely from your gut interested and it matters to you what matters to them and what they're about. And I have kind of a, an uncanny ability to very quickly understand people. And part of it comes, I love people. And this is such a lame thing to say, but I just, it, it's just kind of, it's who I am. Do you think that kind of thing can be taught? No, absolutely not. No. And it's not, you can't be faked. 
And it what it's what makes somebody either a good leader, a good parent, a good friend, uh, a good son, a good writer. And you have that also. You know, I walked in, and I, you know, to your many non-Jewish listeners, you've got Sackle. I could see it immediately. You're, like, you know, there's just a certain thing that emanates from people. And it's, it's funny you know, the the Jewish thing. You yeah. hit that hard. It, <laughs> I'm an atheist. Like I've, yeah, I, yes, I, I, um, I clearly. It's funny. The, the first time I ever heard the word Sackle was actually Harvey Weinstein said it to me okay. once. But, but I was, and who better to say Sackle than Harvey? Weinstein? <laughs> it was the best. It's the truth. Mr. Sackle himself, right? I remember he, I, there was a weird set of circumstances. I was with him on a plane, and he looked at me and he went, ah, you obviously have this sechel. And right. I, I thought, I, I remember nodding along and I had no fucking idea what the word, now I know what it means. Right. This is like 20, 25 years ago. No, I know. But so many people talk about this stuff. There are so many books about it. When you had to groom other leaders, if they're missing that thing, like yeah. what can they do? Or was that just always you? You can't teach that in somebody. And, 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 you know, I always, when I was hiring people, when I was running my agency, I always look for people with big hearts, big brains, thick skin, and 2% off center. And just a certain quality of a human being. I, I For anybody who's trying to think about either hiring people or going in business with people, you can draw an axis on people. And you have smart and dumb and mean and nice in four quadrants. And just stay in the nice, smart quadrant. There, You know, there are a lot of really smart jerk-offs out there. Just stay away from them. And, and it's just, you know, because what I call business sociopaths are talented people. Look, you spend your life, you, you just now have this brilliant new thing, Billions. And you could have cast that show with brilliant assholes or brilliant nice people. Both ways. And I'm, I don't know any of the people personally, but life becomes a lot more easier when you're just dealing with quality human beings and... It's, uh, you know what, you may say a lot of things on this, but that's going to be for sure like the crucial thing. Yeah. It's a lesson that's hard to learn. Yeah, it is. Because In, you could be seduced by very talented people, whether it's the best salesperson, the best actor, the best studio head or whatever. And because when people are talented, they're very seductive. But there are enough quality talented people on in any spectrum to just do that. To just so, that. okay, in life, this is a really important thing. How have you taught yourself not to get seduced by talent to actually do have the discipline to make the calls you need to or do the gut check to go like having is this a good person early is, on having maybe just been in business with some people that didn't fit that bill and then your gut is always telling you it's a question whether you listen to yes it or not. people tell you who they are right away you. and then right you and, can pay attention to it or not it's there and yes. that happens whether it's it in a there. personal interaction on, on a date or in a business meeting you may say well da, 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 it'll be different this time or well and life is too short. And you spend 80% of your emotional energy and time worrying about the, you know, the, the nonsense, managing the people versus the quality people. You don't have to do it. Right. The 80-20 rule yeah. that uh, Tim Ferriss talks about and all these people talk Absolutely. about from all the business books. That, yeah. That, you, know, you, know, the, 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 you spend 80% of your time on the 20% biggest, biggest idiots and biggest pains in the asses. And that's true in any idiom. Right. And have you trained yourself now? Do you get rid of it? Are you able to? It's just natural. It's just a natural instinct. And it's just, it's, um, we talked about our dads earlier on. You know, I got that from my dad, who was probably the best person I've ever known. And whether it's in my personal life or in business, I just surround myself with good people, good human beings. Life gets really simple. It was hard for me to learn that intellect alone wasn't something to chase. Right. Professionally in any way that, you know, when I find intellect alone. Oh, yes, of course. That. You know, I'm, I, I can find myself so drawn to extraordinarily bright people. Yes. And then you get in business. Luckily, m- my wife is incredibly kind and brilliant. Right. I got really lucky. Yeah. 
but in other areas, yeah. I can you can find yourself sort of attracted to that because it solves so many of things. Of course, yeah, because because it's like wow, this is look at this writer. Oh my god, if I could just get in bed with him, it'll be brilliant. But the pain is never worth it. And ironically, I don't know if you found this. For the most part, the bigger the talent the less bullshit they bring to the table. And that happens to do, I remember when I had my old show, The Big Idea, you referenced, interview show. And Harrison Ford would come on with no entourage with him or The Rock. And then you'd have some of these reality assholes would come in with nine people. And, and, and it's just so, for the most part, I have found, and this there are exceptions, but I'm going to say 90% of the time, when they're really up there, they don't have, they don't have to carry all the bullshit. Well, because a lot of the insecurity has been it's um, gone. already yeah. Yeah. is gone. Yeah. But I'm wondering, you know, creative, often people have this idea that super creative people, like I'm thinking of you putting together creative teams on your uh-huh. ad teams right. back in the old days when you right. built your agency. Right. People think there's this twinning that goes on that people who are really creative, it's like the Don Draper thing, have right. something broken. That's absolutely not true. They have a certain passion, a certain curiosity, but I, I could find as many broken left brain people as I can. Right brain, pre- you know, you're doing a show right now about a lot of broken people on Wall Street. So that's not the case. And the, the, I, I just finished this, the first season of my show, Donnie, the, the, the comedy, and just one of the joys was across the board whether it was the people at USA Network, every actor, every... It's just a joy. It was just the set, and I don't have a lot of experience in that. I haven't been on a lot of sets like that, but it was pure joy, beyond creative. It's amazing when you realize that these... How hard these... Isn't it? When you realize... Yeah, you've done television, reality. Right. When you realize how hard these crews work and that they still have this positive attitude in the 13th hour. Amazing. Because, you know, we would... I mean, just, you know, I would start... At a certain point, if I were, were working for so, on someone else's mission... Of course. ...and had to keep moving the dolly track... And, yeah, not doing something glamorous. That's and, what I'm saying. Uh, not getting the rewards that yes, we get for it. Yes. I could see myself becoming short-tempered, and they just don't. Amazing, amazing, amazing. And the other em- new empathy I learned is for actors. That when I was doing reads, when people would come in, and particularly, let's say middle-aged men, you know, who are still character actors holding on and you just have this empathy and it's just, it's such a hard thing. And you forget, people forget out there that even we, I could rattle off 50 well-known television actors who are looking for their next job, who just came off hit series. And it's a very unforgiving business, really. And what I so want my show to work for is the actors that are in it because they want that second season. There was a break for a lot of them. And, and, you know, you get, as I said, you've got the fun thing. You're creating, you're writing, you're, you know, you're sitting there and you, and, but the crew and so many of the actors and the engine, it's just, it's a tough business. No, I love that you're pointing this out about the actors and it, it is true when they, I always view it that then my obligation is to create something that really takes advantage of what they bring. Yes. So that they can have a win. Yes. They can come in and score and, yeah. and score a win for themselves and want to tell people to watch. That's it. it it's, it's one of my, I've written a couple of books. One of the things called the mutual win theory. The key to management, whether it's managing actors or it's understanding what's a win for people. And wins are very different. Some people it's purely monetarily. Some people it's hug. But if you show people that their win matters to you, they're not just there because they're there because you want them there, but their success matters to you as much as your own, they will walk through fire for you. And that's it. That's crucial. Yeah. Really key. Did you you haven't written a book called Two Percent Off Center yet, right? No, I haven't. I haven't. That's got to be the next be, one. That'll, that'll, that'll the next one. That's a really good idea yeah. and title, and really explains okay. a lot. That'll uh, be the third I, one. You'll get a, I, you'll get a thank you in the forward. I think you should do it. When did you start thinking 
or start trying to be aware of what worked for you and what didn't. Like all the things you're saying that re- reveals these things reveal a lot of thought, like a um, time of uh, some introspection and an but awareness. It's not. It's almost. I, I never have remember in my life thinking. Okay, where it's more of just everything you do just informs everything else. And the latest project I've done it was interesting. I had I think tremendous success in advertising and only moderate success in television. I had a nice show on CNBC. I'm always only, but I never really cracked it. And I about two years ago I said, wait a second, I'm, I'm hitting a wall. Um, oh yeah, you know I'm kind of only shows morning show, but I've never had my own big piece of real estate, nothing important. And then this was one of the rare times I did think I said, what was it? in advertising may work. And it was like, I was never playing anybody else's game. I played my own game. I didn't give a fuck. I just, and that's when I had the idea. I said, wait a second. Why don't I just try and write a scripted show, go out, da, 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 da. something that who the fuck would ever I, I want to talk about all that, but I want to back up for one second because I want to talk about, we will talk about the right. new show and how that came to be and this huge risk you took. Right. But I'm really curious, someone as successful as you for so right. long, why you still give a shit? Like, why you'd even say, I saw that I didn't have success enough. And I was, uh, oh, you said, like, I had my own show. Sure. I was on all the morning shows. Look, I'm right. famous. Right. Whatever. But I wasn't quite, well, I'm, what I'm curious about is, like, where, how to locate, because I am fascinated by ambition. Like, I want to, I can't, to locate Blessing the and ambition. Curse. Blessing and curse. What is, you're, okay. You, you're never there. There's never a finish line. I mean, what makes Rupert Murdoch go to work in the day? You're just coming off a big series. What's going to make? Because it's the next challenge. It's, uh, I, I mean, it's not. I remember I had friends after I sold my company. I had a great, you know, uh, monetary windfall. It was never, oh, man, I'd be playing golf. What? I had to shoot myself. It's what drives us. It's what challenge. You know, I, it was very interesting. I still don't feel successful yet. I know it. Look, I know I'm a successful guy. And there, there are measuring sticks. There are the financial measuring sticks, the, the outside, you know, blah, 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 blah. But I, I'm still... I mean, the, you don't think you've reached your own... You don't think you're... By your own definition of um, what you could be... Yeah. The gap between that and where you find yourself is... It, it, is to you, is still a chasm. Well, man. because it's one of the reasons... Interesting. There's an irony that comes with success. It's the reason I sold my company. We all... If you're one hundredth of the one percent that, you know, has great success... There's no room for failure anymore. The reason I sold my ad agency is I'd walk into a three-hour meeting. I knew I was going to end in 30 seconds. We were the largest private health agency in the world. Agency. So now there's no margin of failure. There's a pillow. There are just degrees of success. Right. You, there's no, you're saying that what the gambler wants, you couldn't feel no, at all. No, it's like that same thing when you're climbing and clawing. Yeah. So I keep trying another chapter in one of my books called The Multiple Mountain Theory. If you have the luxury of creating new mountains... Where on my new show, I'm laying, laying in bed at night worried about where I was never worried anymore in advertising. Yeah, I'd rather win that account than lose that account. So, for instance, your show, Billions, is going to be a big success. And you could do the next pay TV, big drama. And whether it succeeds or fails, you're still successful versus I want to be a stand-up comic. Fuck that. I want to see if I can do that. So we tend to, if we're lucky, we find a successful space and stay in that. Versus, okay, I am not going to open up a shoe store. I still want to be in a creative content business, but I felt like I had cracked the 30 second content business. I had cracked the kind of interview thing on TV. What's a new space to kind of test my metal? And that's what keeps you young. That's what keeps you vital. The same thing you had when you clawed. That's what gives you, you're saying that's what gives you the sense that you're really alive. Yes. When you're pursuing something hard. Hard and where I might fail. Right. Hard with the possibility of crashing and burning. There's no net. There's no net. Yeah, and it's like you're really testing that makes your you metal. Get, that makes you want to get up in that, the morning. That charges me. That, give, that gives me a high. Whereas today, 
if I was going to say, Brian, I got to leave, I got to fly out to, you know, uh, Dallas and meet the marketing director of Frito-Lay and sell him his, you know, I do that with my eyes closed. And the irony is most people strive for that, and but there's a pillow that comes with that. Most very successful people do the same thing their entire life, and they're wildly successful at it, and that's great. But I think, and just the little I know you, and you've had a very varied bunch of stuff that the curious mind, the stimulating mind, well, it's why you're doing this. For me, it's curiosity. Yeah, yeah. but for, for me, it's always like has to do with curiosity and passion, like yeah. interest, as yes. opposed to success. Yes. As opposed to like I wouldn't look in an area – it's just not the way I think, which is to look in an area and be like uh, – I haven't really cracked for me, it, it, but it's the same thing. It comes at a different but angle. It, like I did stand up for a year and a half, and I, didn't I even did know it. That. That's so funny. I did stand up right. for a year and a half when I was forty, right? And so nine I, years I actually, ago, I right? Had no idea. That's very interesting. And I did it because I had to like prove to myself. Sure, but it was really personal, right? And once I got ten minutes that worked. I was okay to stop. That was it. I, so I did it's it. a little bit of the same thing with me also. Whereas I don't need I'm not gonna need to write another scripted comedy. Like I, I I did it. And it's like wow. And I think I did it really well. So it's the same thing. It's the curiosity of it. It's not like what can what's the new thing? That's the description of it. But the drive is the same thing. Do you, you think just part of it has to do with having a successful father? Like I had a successful father. Mine wasn't, you know, the business wasn't the same kind of thing as, as yours, but I had a, a dad who was successful. And I know when I was young, I wrestled with that right. a lot with having to find a way to define, you know, I made a decision at a certain point. I wouldn't say take anything from, you know, yeah. I would go and live sure. by my, on my right. own terms. I'm just wondering for you. I didn't know because I, my dad, first of all, is the most giving low key guy in the world. And he had a success, but then we built a success. Like, I didn't have this overshadowing father whose shoes I had to f- feel I had to fill. He was very successful, very comfortable in his own right. And yet he was always so behind me and put, you know, and because you do have sometimes these very high profile fathers that overshadow their kids. I, I, I never had that struggle. It was never, how am I going to create my own footsteps? Right. But know? by the same token, like neither of us get to say, have a rags to, ri- a true rags to riches no, story. No, no. I always say that my dad started the agency and he built, it was a small company. I was able to scale it, but he did the hard part starting something from nothing. I always think that's infinitely harder. And I did, look, I did a great job and built a great yeah, company. Yeah, I mean, I know you, yet, you took it uh, by a yes, hundredfold. But yet clearly. I think what he did was hard. I'm not saying this with false humility, is, was harder to just start something from nothing and grind it out. And so that I have this, so I stand on his shoulders every day. So I, I know what I want to ask you is what does it feel like? You know, I'm so interested in how people make these transitions and you've done it a bunch of times. And I get what the end result moment is you going, okay, I have to do this other thing. Right. How long were you feeling restless? Like, how does it build in you that you're like, oh, you know what? I have this vague sense of dissatisfaction. That's a great question. And it was not, it was basically, I remember over a year or two, kept going to my people, like, what's our next thing? What's our next thing? And as I said to you earlier, I kind of walk into meetings knowing how again. And then some big holding company came to me with a big offer. And I was never thinking about selling a company. And I said, oh. Be interesting to challenge myself. So it was, it was just kind of an organic thing that started to happen, and I felt like I won. I felt like I was at the casino, and I won, sure. and I kind of broke the bank, and it was like, what's next? All right, I'm going to quickly interrupt this conversation to talk about this week's sponsor, Billions, Showtime's Billions. 10 o'clock Sunday nights on Showtime, also available on Showtime On Demand, Showtime Anytime. Billions is the television series that I've been working on the last couple of years. We shot it this past year and editing it. My partner David Levine and I are the showrunners of this show, which that we created with Andrew Ross Sorkin. Man, I love making the show, and I, I'm just blown away by the reaction to the show. Uh, the tweets that I'm getting, the emails I'm getting, watching people write about the show, reading the recaps. I mean, that's a whole thing that didn't exist before, these recaps. 
which is really amazing the way people are deconstructing it, taking it apart, telling me what they love about it, what they don't like as much about it. Become a part of the conversation. The show is uh, Damian Lewis and Paul Giamatti and Maggie Siff and Malin Ackerman. It's dramatic and, and funny at times, and people uh, really seem to be loving it. Get on board. Billions, showtime, 10 p.m., Sunday nights. When you had this thought, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make this show, do you ever wrestle at all? Because public persona, and even just sitting here with you, you don't seem like somebody who deals with self-doubt or no. insecurity. No. So do you ever have those feelings? Do you ever sort of have those like lost nights of the soul where you're not sure of the direction or if you're up to it? I always am sure of the direction. Now, whether it's going to be successful in the outside world, I always know where I'm going and I don't doubt myself. And you don't doubt your ability to pull that off. The name of my, one of my books is often wrong, never in doubt. Right. So it's, and that's what I say to people. And this was also, I go back to even my agency days when you'd be pitching business. I'd say, let's get an idea fast, put a stake in the ground and go. Because two-thirds of it is getting there and getting behind it. And yeah, so, Seth Godin always talks about ship it. Yeah. Don't wait for perfection to ship no, it. Ship it just, and then fix it and uh, get it better. I, so I never doubt. Now, I have a lot of agita about, is it going to work? Is it gonna, but I am so convinced in, in the direction I'm going and I believe in it. And I don't – here's another funny thing about the word risk. And I give a lot of motivational speeches. Yeah. And I kind of do this little bit where I'll, here's, I say one of my things, you have to embrace failure, okay? And, and so I will call a woman up from the audience. I say, let's role play. Let's pretend you're a single woman at a restaurant and I come up to you and I introduce myself nicely, ask you on a date. And then when I do it, reject me. And we do this whole thing and then she rejects me, haha. Okay, guess what? I'm no worse off than I had not asked you. And so much, there's no risk in it. So let's now take the scenario of the new show I just did. Let's say it doesn't work and I don't get picked up for a second. Or let's say I haven't even sold it on the air. And I'm the worst I have not done it. It's like so much of the stuff, if you can come to terms with, no, that's not failure. Failure, and this sounds so obvious, is not even taking the swing. Sure. So at any step of the way, had I quote unquote failed, I wasn't able to sell it. I wasn't able to get it on the air. I wasn't able to get a, a second season or a fifth season or a ninth season. Every step of the way is, is actually win-win. You just think it's just the fear of failure of is the main impediment to many people getting where they want to go. Corollary to that, every uber-successful person I've ever met, when I mean uber, I mean presidents of the United yeah. States, major celebrities, Fortune 50 CEOs, in addition to the toolbox of being very smart and very driven and stuff, they have this other naive sense of, like, why not me? Why not me? So is the same thing was nobody was going to give me a scripted coming. Well, wait a second, Mike, or if I want to run for mayor. Nobody's going to say, hey, let's take this former ad guy and make, until I say, hey, wait a second. I know how to speak. I know how to raise money. I love this city. Why not me? And that, that little fairy dust is what separates the people who really hit it out of the park. And most people don't have that. And the thing that I would like to tell people why you should have it, and you know this better than as well as anybody, I've yet to meet the geniuses out there other than Bill Clinton and Bill Gates. I've never met anybody else where I go, wait a second, there's something going on there that I don't have. You you meet so many famous people and so many powerful people and so many fabulously wealthy people and you go, okay, I guess they're kind of smart. No, there's no, and that's very, you put that together that, hey, there are no geniuses out there. Why not me? And that's where great magic happens. Right. I mean, that's what lets Sarah Palin go make that speech too, right? The flip side of it is that kind of willful cluelessness in a but, way. But but I said the ones who she doesn't end up in the That's spectacular, right. you know, you have to I started yes. with you gotta have the toolbox of being smart. <laughs> By the way, did you see her speech yesterday with the Trump? Best thing of all time. That was just like 
I don't know if she was like on mushrooms or it was it, such a level of insanity. Well, I was going to ask you, have you done a presidential campaign? Yeah, I worked on Clinton's campaign in 92. And what was that experience like for, like for you? And would you do it again? Yeah. the From a, it was tr- tremendously exciting. It's not as intellectually nourishing. When you're an ad guy, let's say, and you were in a client, you know, IBM hires me. You know, you're giving them their strategy. You're, you're molding that brand. You are the brain trust. When they bring in ad agencies, they don't really bring in traditional ad agencies. You're really executing the strategies of George Stephanopoulos and, and James Carville and Mandy Grunwald. Sure. You're more of a production company. You act much in the way of they're like, okay, these are the spots we want you to write. Go write them and go execute them versus the one who's saying these are the spots you but should But having write. your skill set right. and, and, and I know how much you care about the world, like having your skill set and your awareness of the world, do you ever want to go to some of these people and say, let me – no, I actually, truth be told, what I would like to do is I'd like to run for office. Then I would love right, you want to, to run for mayor. mayor. I can't. I've just done too many. Nothing horrible. I have young kids. There's been too many women in my life. You know, just too many crazy things. Nothing horrible. And everybody says to me, you come out the first day, you say all this stuff, but it doesn't work that way. And stuff sticks with me. And whether it's I. Wait, do I have to give you your own speech? No, no. It's right sp- back to you? No, because I just, it's just, I just know there's just enough stuff where it, it wouldn't be worth it to me. Well, it just Clinton, I mean, but, but, I but it's been proven now that it doesn't matter. It, does, it I, doesn't I, I'll, matter. I'll give you a bunch of reasons why I couldn't do it. I probably had half a dozen to a dozen relationships of women I wor- who worked for me over the years. Now, basically, I was single. It's a very natural place to meet people in the workforce. But just try explaining that about, wait a minute, you slept with all these women who work for you? We're sitting here as two liberal guys talking on a podcast it just, I... I well, you're talking no- about New York City. You're talking about know, Manhattan. Talking about New York City. Manhattan, just, Brooklyn, the Bronx, Staten Island, Queens. They I, don't care. I, you know what? Until it's on the front page of the Post every single day. Oh, it'll day. be annoying for you. Yeah. It, no, it, and, I'm, and listen, I'm, I'm sure there are a women who at the time may perhaps had uh, husbands, but... Yeah, listen, no. well, I'm sure that that that's also. the case, too. That's another case, another yeah, but, stupid mistake I made. But those... No, but who cares? Those, I'm saying you know nobody what? really, in, the, in this day and age... Where, uh, you know, the allegations again, I mean, think about the allegations against every major candidate right now for national office. Yes. Except one or two. Right. I mean, what would hold you back from that? Instead of making this comedy on television. Yeah. Which I, no, I mean, if you really feel like you, cause you feel like the guy in the office now is not doing a good job. No. I mean, it's, it's like, we don't have a mayor. It's like, he's not present. I mean, whether you liked Bloomberg or Giuliani, I mean, they were, they had, a, they had their hand on the city. The city was going in the right direction. This guy, I, I just don't know where he is, you know. So um, we'll see. I, we're not going to rule it out. You're consider, but you're considering it. I, stranger things have happened. We'll see. Maybe. You never know. So you would like to do it for yourself, though. The, can, the idea of uh, even well, as impossible city. as it is. No, I think because I think I would do a great job. Oh, no, no. I'm saying, though, you would do the... Um, oh, yeah. Uh, you'd run your own Yeah, campaign. I would not want to be a guy behind the scenes. Like, in other words, you asked... The, the answer to the question was you asked, why would I ever not... I, I've never been the guy behind the scenes. I, it's just not who I am. Right. And so even if the other side nominates somebody you think would be absolutely disaster... Oh, yeah. No, I would go to work. Yes, I would. For a presidential campaign. Yes. For a president. Campaign. Yeah, I would. You, I you would. could see a scenario where then. Yeah. I, where's this going though? Can you imagine, like, wh- who's going to be our next president? Well, when you look at these people and what they're selling, look, nobody's better at figuring that I'll stuff out than you. Gonna be. It's going to be either Hillary or Trump, and Trump can actually win. I, I mean, here's why. It's, it's as crazy as it sounds, and I've known Donald a long time, and I'm not here to defend Trump, okay? Because you and I are going to line up 97% yeah, of, of places politically. Yeah, of course. I'm just here as kind of a, an analyst. If it gets down to the two of them, which it will, I mean, he's already ahead in Florida against her. 
And there is this attitude that, pe- first of all, people don't like Hillary. Hillary is incredibly competent, but she just, there is this attitude in this country now that's like, what the fuck? And he's only got to take a few states. You know, it comes down to, ele- national elections now are five states, okay? It's Ohio. Ohio and Florida, Florida really is. Colorado, Virginia, and Pennsylvania, okay? Period. And by the way, he can, he can take Florida. And he can take possibly Pennsylvania. So why can't he win this national election? And that's insanity. That's insanity. But it could happen. And what he would do if he got the nomination, he'd move right to the center. You know what he'd say? He'd say, look, I'm a businessman. I want to get this job done. This is the process you put me in. I can't get through these stupid primaries unless I, I, I had to agitate. I had to get some things out. I had to get the discussion going. Here's the reality of what I feel. Smart businessman. Puts the right five or six people. He's the ceremonial guy. Puts the right five or six people in place. And I don't believe in his heart he believes some of the things he says. Now, I judge people. Strong. He's a good father, tremendous kids, loyal employers. He's wacky. He says some wacky things. Of no, course, I don't of, agree with what he's saying as far as Muslims are. But I can argue that what he says brings everything to the surface versus the people who bubble underneath the 65% of Republicans who actually agree with what he says that we should put a hold on letting Muslims into this country. So let's get that on the table. This show is not a political show. We'll move off this. But I guess to me that once somebody would say that even for a short time, they think a religious test should go into effect. Uh, that's a fair point. Look, that, I can't defend, For me, thought, that alone I, on a national stage is enough to disqualify Brian, someone. That, that's, a, that's a very, very fair point. And I can't defend that. And that repulses me. Yeah, that, so. So, so to me, that's binary. Yes. It's a binary thing. Like yes. once okay. that's been said and then not taken back, right. you go, well, well, because it, it actually showcases this willful denial of history, yes. right? But it's pandering. Yes. Because if, if you say my dad who knows him and likes him. Right. One of my oldest friends plays 100, a guy I've known since I'm 12, plays 150 rounds of golf a year with him. They say he's like the greatest guy if you yeah. met, you know. So if he's all those things and he's just saying this to rabble rouse to get the no. job, then that's even well, worse in well, a way. Well, one, she just say, hey, look. I, I kind of said a couple of things I'd like to take back now because I need to get in that chair because I need to really help this country. And I really, in my heart, for my grandchildren's sake, believe I'm the guy to do it. So let, let's move off. Yeah, we can move so, off yeah, politics. Yeah. But uh, no, listen, the fact that you're engaged, I don't want to move off politics entirely because when, when you talk about yourself as a mayor, what is it that makes you think, taking uh, out of it whether you could get elected, right. I imagine you could get elected. Right. Because you've succeeded at sort of everything you've tried right. on some level. And I, I, I know you don't want your kids to read bets. I get it. Right, right. I mean, I know you know that that stuff's not actually a barrier to getting elected, right? You just know it um, uh, would lead to annoying, uncomfortable moments yeah, for your children. Right. Which probably makes you even more somebody who should do this. Yes. But what is it that you think you could do in the city? What is it about who you are? Is it a uniting thing? Is it about yeah, I, I, it's the, interesting the police? Thing. It's what, what it's do you, think what, you, it's what you just It's funny. You know, my, my grandfather was a cop. You know, I from grew up in Queens, yet I live a very different kind of life in the city now. And I do think I see both sides. I see on the one hand as a businessman, as somebody who understands certain realities of life, some of the things that need to get done that make this city work that are always not the populist things. They're always not what I'll call the fair things for the masses. On the other side, I have a heart and I'm a guy from the streets and I, I do have this incredible empathy for maybe the generations that are one or two generations behind us whose needs are different than some of the needs of what makes the city work. And I think it's a balancing act. And I think we get into trouble when we don't have both sides. I also think by nature, I'm a father and a protector. And the number one job 
of a mayor from today forever is keeping the city safe. And so I would start with that. Like I would just ever, my, my, my fatherly being would be into that. I, on the one hand, care about making this city as an enterprise work, enterprise slash business, yet my heart is with the human beings that are not the ones at the top of the food chain. And it is a constant balancing act. It takes an acute brain and a deep heart to make that work. And that's why when you look around and you see, uh, obviously, all your work, you understand very well the power of symbols. Yes. When you see the way in which the mayor, the police chief, don't understand how to present the right messages, it must drive you crazy that the messages, even if they don't want them to be divisive, end up being Yeah, let me separate. I'm a Bratton fan, so let me separate Bratton and de Blasio. I'm not a de Blasio fan. Um, But here's the question. How would Donnie Deutsch explain? How would you think about uh, explaining to police that actually they'll look better if they stop the institutional cover-ups? The answer starts in the kind of people we recruit now. You, You know, people tend to look backwards instead of forwards. What do we do now in the way we recruit, in the way we train, in the way we reward, in the way we um, promote, that that is built into the equation. It's the same way they started teaching business ethics in MBA. So, So it's looking forward, okay? Because the reality is some guy that's been on the force for 20 years doing things a certain way, he ain't fucking changing. So that doesn't mean you don't change it, but you change it starting with what does a police force look like now? And we also, we, we, we punish harshly when this does, when we do find it in our midst, when there isn't a cover-up, that there are no prisoners. The same way I was in Baltimore, Washington, where it was a female mayor and she just went balls out. The female in Baltimore, yeah. Freddie, Freddie Gray. Yeah, there was no bullshit. There was no, there's like, boom, we're dragging them out. We're taking them away. That's it. So, you know, there's yeah, got to- she very bravely stepped in yes. and said, I'm doing this. this. You know, so when it, when you, that's the other. So on the one hand, you train differently and you prosecute differently. So it's kind of a top bottom thing, but it's not a problem that's going to go away and that's not going to change. Right. And I guess- I guess you feel like the right kind of mayor could communicate in a way yeah. to the people to try to articulate yes. how they ought to be looking at yes. this. So is this part of why, you know, Bill Murray says people always say to him they want to be rich and famous, and he says, try rich. You'll see that that gets you a lot of the way there. You won't even need fame. Yeah. But it's clear well, that- Michael you- J. Fox said it better to me. He says, rich and famous is great because, you know, rich and famous, you know, rich is great. Famous without rich, you're waiting for a bus and people are bothering you. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So it's like- right. But, but I'm interested in, you know, you got the rich part yeah. and I had a measure of, of fame in the city. Yes. But it seems that fame is important to you. Now, I don't think it's just because of the vain reasons. When I'm, I think it seems when you're talking about, is it that you wanted to put yourself in a position where you had a certain kind of influence, where your words influence matter? Is that, yes. I'm saying, yeah, what is it that I fame like it, gives I, you? It, it's interesting because I never use the word, I like. God, that's off such a Charlie Rose question no, to no, ask, no, but I, I am. What I, is it that it gives simple, you? It's very simple because sometimes if people have said that to me. Oh, you want to be here? I like being in the middle of the discussion. I like having an impact. And wealth doesn't necessarily give you that. Whereas if you have notoriety, if you have the you're in the discussion, you have access, you can move and, and there is something about, so, and there's an electricity. Most things that fame come as a result of politics, entertainment, sports, there's an electricity and excitement with those things that other professions don't have. So you're looking at the symptom 
of what I'm really drawn to is I like being in the center of the You want to be in the mix. I, I am an adrenaline junkie. And the things, whether it's being in the movies, being intelligent, being in politics, being, like if I had enough money, I would buy a sports team. Because there's just in a pump with that. It's not so people stop me on the street and go, oh, you own a sports team. It's like you get the impact. You're one of 30 people controlling a sport that kind of makes this. No, right. And then you have an outsize interest in your, an outsized influence in sort of, you walk into a restaurant and you have an outsize. Oh, that's fun. Also, yeah, that's actually you get great. All the nice things that come with that. You get great tables. And, you know, a perfect example. Last night, I was at a very high profile restaurant in New York, you know, Polo Lounge. Okay. It was a great guy. And I walk in there and then there's Tommy Hilfiger at one table and the editor of Town uh, of uh, Arc Digest at another table. And four people come up to me and they love my show and with the different influential people. And you, I'm trying to figure it out. And that's cool. That's fun. Right. Versus walking into a steakhouse in New Jersey and not knowing anybody. <laughs> and, no, I mean, I'm not saying that all. It's exciting and stimulating. Right. And who wouldn't want that? So when you play in those areas of the world versus if you're just the widget but, king. But I guess the downside of that, people would say. Right. Is that it's needing, adrenaline junk is another way to, of saying you need these endorphin hits to constantly come because... To not have them somehow is unsettling to you. Guilty as charged. Right. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And but that's isn't what that, drives. Isn't that like a that's, a, it, that's a... that's a blessing and a curse. That's why I'm sitting here now talking to a really brilliant writer who's got my favorite show on TV. I'm not well, just saying to give you a blowjob. Yeah, so as opposed to just a guy, like one of several hundred million who's sitting at home watching this show going, that's a cool show. Everything I've done has got me in a room where I'm sitting with the guy who created that piece How of it. Cool I completely that? relate well, to. That's, that's one of the main, like when I was young and I was thinking about my own transition into being an artist as opposed to watching them or helping them. Was uh, I wanted to be able to reach out to other. I knew if I could get to a place of accomplishment, sure, as a creative person. There was nobody I couldn't meet and interact with and talk to. Yeah. For me, that's kind of where I, like, I felt like, okay, if I want to meet Don, I want to be able to go. Sure. You know, Tony Robbins became a friend of mine. Yeah. I, it would have been hard to meet Tony Robbins sure. if I wa wasn't doing yes. the thing that yes, I'm, I'm doing. So I, I relate to it on, on that level. But I also have a huge need for decompression, quiet time to think, meditation, and all that right. stuff as a balance in a way. No, I don't have And that. you don't have that no, at all. And it's also about connectivity. I'm doing a thing in a couple of weeks. I'm starting a thing on Sirius Radio where I'm having a call-in show once a week with people. Oh, that's awesome. What's it called? It's called Dialing Donnie. Where's it, what channel is it going to be on? And it's going to be on the Stars Channel. Oh, great. Uh, and basically the premise is, whereas basically, and mostly women calling in, if you don't have that kind of fatherly or big brother or boss that you can talk to, if you need advice on either... If you need advice on either career, business, parenting, relationship, I tend to give, always give advice to. I'm very right, and I, I love doing that. And I saw so that's a connect. It's like that's a, another piece of this puzzle. It's having influence, having able to solve problems. You like to spot and solve. These so whether problems. it's on an individual level or we talked on a much more macro, grander level, uh, being mayor is just I like to affect. So even creating a sitcom, the ability to maybe make people. I know it sounds stupid, laugh and bring some social issues to the table while doing it. Let's talk about, so let's talk about how you decided that you were going to do this, that, that you'd gone, as you said, I had some success, you right. know, you had real success of television right. show on the air. Sure. I mean, McEnroe, I love his show lasted, uh, yeah, right. you know, yeah. five episodes. The longest, five years, longest running talk show. Right. CBC you had a long talk, running talk show, show and it yeah. worked. How did you start to think about doing a sitcom where you play a larger-than-life, worse version of yeah, yourself? I, I just had, I, it's interesting, I had been with production company Left Right, 
and we were talking about doing a news idea, something that was much more in my space. And at the very end of the meeting, I said, guys, I got an idea. And I had always, I've met so many personalities on TV and they have one person on TV, some of the most beloved TV people, the biggest assholes in the world. And I, my public persona is sometimes a bit roguish and abrasive, whereas I'm actually, I think, a very nice, decent, nice man. And I thought it would be played play with that duality. And I had this idea for them to kind of do this. Had you had the idea for a long time? Did you just come up with it in the meeting? No, it just had been bubbling in my head a little bit. And I just threw it out there. Go, that's great. Let's do it. So um, you have the idea. I want to, because a lot of people listen to this are people who want to create something. Right. You were in a slightly different place because you have have money and I, influence. Yeah, now, here's the big X factor that most people don't have. And here's why, why I was able to do it. And this is comes back to why then wealth adds to other things. Had I gone into any network with a script or a treatment, okay, I'm Donnie Deutsch. I want to star in my own show and the premise is going to be a Kirby enthusiast. They'd laugh at me. So I knew I had to go in with a piece of tape, just like you talked about. Were we on the air when we were talking about? No, no. Okay, you talked about something. There was an actress you wanted to cast, and you knew you had to actually. Yeah, there was a way to present it. Present it, a screen to go a little extra step further. So I, I spent a few dollars funding an actual pilot so that you could go out and put a tape in when we walked into a room. But no, there's some people. Look, um, with Billions, we wrote the script on spec. We had. Uh, because we'd gotten to a place a long time ago where, like, um, we could have sold it everywhere as a pitch, but then we wouldn't have had the control, control. over That's it. The same thing I So we decided we were going to write the script on spec, but you went one notch same further thing. than that. Now, did you write the script for the pilot episode yourself with somebody uh, with else? One with my co-creator, Angie Day, who's amazing. And we would go back and forth. Uh, and, you know, basically, and the way we did it, there was a ton of improv. So basically, the way I did it is we had a working very kind of rough script. We'd call in actors. I'd read with the actors once. I'd say, put the script away. You got the scene. Let's go. We would improv. Then Angie would go back right from that, call back actors again. So it was this constant. So by the end, it was just the words were so organic. How long did it take you to get comfortable in a fictional construct like that? It came very easy because it was a version of myself. And it was a, I don't think I could, you know, everybody says, write what you know and write, you know, and there were situations that I knew. So it was, it was, bizarrely comfortable. Have you thought about how you come up with your creative ideas? You know, there are these great books about ideation. You know, the real famous book from the 50s uh, advertising book, which we'll put in the show notes. I gave it out one year for Christmas. I'll, I don't have it now. That little book that, that great ad man wrote uh, where it's like, do tons of research, then walk away, let the ideas come back. Then, like, do you... Do, here's do my, you have a ritual or a way here's that you what do ha- it? If I look back over my life, I never really thought about it. I think that's what's happening, whether we're on a daily basis, we're taking things in. We're, 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 we're just feeling you know, everything that's happening, every stimuli. And I, every once in a while, and I have to find the right setting. When I was worked at my dad, Jay's and she was in the old Horn and Hardart Automat building on 42nd. And I used to go in at five in the morning. There would be some various individuals, not necessarily homeless people, but pretty close, and they'd be eating jello or these weird things, and there'd be this Count Basie music playing in the background. It was this, it, for some reason, it stimulated me. And from then on, I always find, so when I'm, right now, I'm thinking about my second season. I haven't come up with one idea for thing. I'm about to go to, I go to Three Guys Diner on 75th Street, and I'll go at six in the morning when I'm ready to spit it out. And I'll go with a yellow piece of paper. And whether I know it or not, there are six or seven ideas inside me right now. I haven't committed to spitting them out yet. They've been formulating. I but know, you mean you'll suddenly feel like a kind of a pressure or like I, it's I, time. I, I like, I put, so I'll put myself in, this, in a certain kind of environment. It's always like an early morning diner situation with just a little humanity around, but not much. And very raw. And just a piece of paper. And now I know, okay, 
I have to come right now. Okay. I have to ejaculate. It's time. I got to do it. It's time. And somehow it comes out. And that's my. That shouldn't be the title of your next book. Okay. <laughs> Just let's, 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 let's not. But yeah. it, it, and so that I, I force the, the excursion outside that's been somehow building. No, that makes total sense. That's, I think, how a lot of creative people do it. Right. You let the stuff build up. I mean, I do morning pages every day to, like, let get some process going right. where it, to start sort of feeling like the subconscious is yeah. flowing. But you did that when you would have to build a huge campaign Same or go thing. pitch. Same thing. You would, con- like, actually not be walking around consciously thinking about it. You well, would take in some information and then just... It, it was in there. I was and I wasn't. I was th- It's not like I was, like, in the shower, oh, what do I do? But it was 24-7 inside So then would that me. become a challenge for you when you then have to disseminate the idea to the people who have to go help you no, sell that, it? No, because that was actually my number one gift. I had a unique ability. That's what made me really great in advertising. I was better in advertising than anything else. And I actually think I was the smartest ad guy in the world. I, I had this bizarre gift where I could disseminate, okay, everything I heard from the client, what was going to be great for the client, what was going to be great for the agency, what was going to work in the marketplace, and somehow laser it down and somehow deliver it to my people so then they would come up with it. Even though I knew the idea, it would be their idea. So I'd feed it to that. Like I, I just had this ability to put everything in the soup and, and get it right. Yeah. So do you have a writer's room now on your show? It was just you Angie and myself. Just the two of you. Just the two of us. Because that's one of the, you know, for, for Dave and me, where we've always just written the movies and everything ourselves, when you have a writer's room and then you have to try to... English. How does the writer's room even work? I, I'm, I've always thought about well, that. Well, you've done know. it in, obviously you well, no, did it, it in advertising. Was, yeah, we would sit around, knock ideas, but then I, in the way it worked in advertising, I'd go, okay, guys, here's the direction, go off, come back with a bunch of ideas, and then I would call the ideas. So how does a writer's room, like when you're doing billions, yeah, what does that look like? Well, you know, we go in, Dave and I go in with a lot of ideas, but then we also have our writers who are there coming up with I- so, ideas, So, but I want to ask too. you, I'm very curious, and something like billions. Yes. So you had a script that you sold. Yeah. Now they say, okay, deliver 10 episodes or whatever. What's the- they buy the script and we go make the pilot. They buy the script with a commitment to make the pilot. And you made a pilot. We cast and make the pilot. Okay. okay. Then they call us and say, okay, we're going to make the season. So, okay. So now I'm curious. I get how that happens, okay? And at that point, you've controlled it. You and David have written yeah. the script. And we, the pilot with it. Andrew Russ Sorkin. Yeah, and with from there on, okay. just Dave okay. and me. Yeah. Okay. So now I'm curious. I want to just turn. I'm going to be the interviewer in a second. How do you now then, with now seven or eight or nine writers- turn that into 10 episodes. Do you go to them and go, okay, guys, here's the basic arc. Here's what's going to happen in the show. Basically, here are the, here's the season. Basically, these guys fall in love, this guy gets killed, da, 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 and here's where we need to end up. Go. I, I'm curious how that happens. We had an end point that we were aware of. Okay. We had a midpoint that okay. we were aware of. That Dave and I had, some of that stuff we had talked about in the beginning with Andrew, but Dave and I had the middle point and the end point. Endpoint of the series of the, of the season, season. Of the season. Of the season. Okay, so I'm not saying knowing, this is the case. The season ends with our guy being carted off to jail. Whatever the thing and is. And there's a midpoint where the female character chooses which man she has an allegiance to. Okay. Excellent. Well, yeah, there, there's a midpoint and an endpoint. Okay. And then also we had for ourselves, knowing that the pilot script was really strong, feeling like we could probably get this thing going. Yeah. We had written out a bunch of episode ideas. Okay. And so the first day in the writer's room, we said, okay, this is what we're thinking, but we want you guys, the women, men, the whole thing, we want this not just to be ours now. The hard part, and this is what I was asking, is to make them feel a real sense of ownership. Yes. So how do you do that? The answer is this. You first start off with, because most creative people think nobody can do it as well as them. Everybody's idea, most people go, they're going to come back and it's going to be 20% not as good as my idea. The idea is it's going to be 20% different. 
you in reality, sometimes it's better. So you have to first let go and say, it's not going to be exactly as I see it. Maybe a little better, maybe a little worse. And so let go of that. Then hold on to what are basically the tenets. Like I was always, here's the idea that we're never straying from. I'm not going to let, that's not going to turn into this. Right. But then let go and then go, oh, you know what? If they come back and, and you have to, so you have to have both the strength of the conviction of the core idea that you are the guardian of. I think that's exactly right. But the, also the, both the confidence and the ability to let go and let it. It's very go. hard early on yes. not to just say that's not our show. Yes. That's almost impossible yes. to not say at first. Yes. But you do have to know when it's not your yeah. show. Uh, and you maybe have to wait to say that until you get them comfortable enough yes. to pitch and pitch and pitch. Yeah. Because they're not judged. What One thing we realized early, and I'm sure you did in the advertising, is nobody's dinged for the ba- the idea that doesn't work. Right. You're only judged on the good ideas. Yes, yes. And as long as you have some of those, yes. you're going to thrive yes. and survive and yes. do really well. Yes. Unfortunately for them, Dave and I get to decide which are the good ideas. Of course. So will they then pitch and say, okay, one, we want an entire episode about and infidelity of the Paul Giamatti character. And he, we, we've seen him as... Well, he, or let's use like the second episode of the show is about naming saw. naming rights, right? right. About, na- the, you know, or one of the things it's okay. about is naming rights. Yes. So let's say we came in, Dave and I wrote that episode. So we knew, all right, we're interested in this idea of philanthropy, how people in these positions use philanthropy. Okay, so that was basically the... the, the yeah, how do they the use that, right? And right. how does that work? I love the family, the old family at the end. You cast that so, those, the son, I mean, and that last, I don't want to give it away because it's... Don't it's give it away, but yeah. That last speech was... Thanks, yeah, we were, felt really good when we wrote that speech and, and we realized what that was. Now that, we knew that, we talked about that in the writer's room, like, right. okay, what would be a good job for Bobby Axelrod to have had? right. That might have brought him into con- And so you're kicking it around. Yeah. And you're encouraging everybody to come up with it. And ultimately, Dave and I wrote that episode. So we, everything everyone says in that episode, we wrote. But you're starting to talk about the contours and parameters of who these people are and how they could do this stuff. A lot of ideas went on the board. And then we had a couple of ideas that ended up, you come up with for that episode, they go into the next episode. Okay, interesting. But you, so you didn't have a writer's room. No. We and had, are you going to on your second season? Yes, because there'll probably be more. We only did six, right. six episodes. There would be 12 if we do it. Because the way it was is basically the way we work was I basically had for each episode a single premise. Okay. There's a very simple format for my show. Whereas, And did you generate them or you and your yes. partner generated them? The, the initial premises I, I generated. You had six premises. Six, well, like, for instance, we started with 10. We now, whereas, okay, here's what happens. It always starts on a daytime talk show. So the daytime talk show is going to be about, I say something racially insensitive. Yeah. And I'm defending it the whole time saying I have a lot of black friends, which makes me worse. And at the very end, what happens is, I, and then I fall in love with a black woman, but I can't go out with it because that's going to be racist. I go to my, so six or seven touch points. And then Angie would kind of really start to put the pieces in. How do you stop yourself from, so I know you said no insecurity, no self-doubt. You haven't met many people other than Gates and Clinton who you thought, right. oh, there's a huge gap right. between you and them. Right. But like sometimes I'll look at Mad Men or The Sopranos and I say, oh, how do I, you know, if they've already done that how, right. in the world, like, so your show has some similarity to Larry Sanders. Sure. Larry Sanders is, for me, the other show. Like, if someone said to me, your five favorite shows of all time, Larry Sanders is my top five. Right. Gary Shandling is, I've met him, spent time with him. He is one of those people. Yes, he's He's not like the rest of us. right. He's, so do you ever say to yourself, fuck, man, that guy, I mean, how, you know, he, he basically did a show similar to this. Right. That's considered the greatest thing ever, or you don't even 
I, I, I basically, see, look, we could all come up with, I could talk about with a great show on the air now and we could go, oh, well, that pays homage yes. to things. So I'm not worried. First, my marketing thing comes in. If anybody puts me in the same sentence, wow, that's a win right there. That's, see, this is a great thing for people to hear. Like, because okay, let this me, is awesome. I loved, I was waiting when I was promoting the show to somebody would bring up Curb. Or some, and, and then I would always, I'm like, oh, I can't even be put in the same sentence. That's embarrassing because Larry Davis is a genius, but yet there it was. Okay, so that, and yet, and in my New York Times review, they gave it a good review. And they said, you know, it's not as good as Larry Sanders and Curb, but it's in that world. And like, Okay, that's a win. That's show, a win. You're able to translate that that's a into fucking, a win. Are you kidding me? They're writing and saying this show is funny, and no, it's not quite as funny as uh, the see, original. See, I'm, I'm an atheist, but I'm more of a Jew than you, I think, because yeah. I would only hear the ba- I would only hear. No, I, I would only hear you're going well, to the. This is both creative and marketing. Because now, in my mind, in my selling the show mind, they're putting in the same sentence as one of the great comedies of all time, and here I'm this unknown idiot in this genre. So now, um. Wow, even if I'm number two to the greatest of all time compared to the other 10,000 out there, that's a win in, in creating curiosity for the show. And yeah, it, it pays homage to that. And But how I could take about every television show on the air that's sure. on the air right now, and it's some form of something else. doesn't mean it's not great. It doesn't mean they sat there and said, I'm going to do this. I never, in my mind, came up with the show and go, oh, that's Larry Sanders. And clearly I recognize it's, it's a similar, just like... There's a show on the air now. Uh, what's the show that I just saw? That's a similar. There's, there's four other shows coming on the air that I take real life characters, oh, sure. just like Larry David and Andrew Dice Clay is doing it. And so, yeah, but it's how you do it. Yeah, but you know, the idea you of you know someone with a talk show yes. who uh, it, I, the way I rationalize it was different to me. The, the it is different because you're you. It's well, not different. only that. What to me the interesting part about this show was using the daytime format. Which get which lets you get into social salacious issues, anything, obesity, race, sexuality, parenting, and now how can I, as a dumb rich guy, how can that inform what's going on in my life to really say the premise of the show is no matter who we are, we're going through the same shit every day. You know that basically the same parenting right. shit, the same stuff. We're stumbling through it, and I actually thought nobody had touched daytime television before, and I thought that was a great test tube to get into the social. Whether it's it was one show where I'm potentially gay and this and that that's what's exciting about not using tv and celebrities in tv and yet that was a much more behind the scenes of yeah television and celebrity whereas i use that in the first two or three minutes as a starting point and the show has nothing no you've answered this because this is a question i get all the time people say about themselves i have an idea but i'm worried i'll be judged it and your way of thinking about it no new ideas Right. They're all new and, no, and none of them are new. Right. Your way of thinking about it is to say, uh, listen, compare me with it. Yeah. That's fantastic. Yeah. If, I, if what I'm doing- As long as it's not derivative. It's, yeah, right. It, it, no, you're it, not it, copying it, any lines no. or setups. And, right, and of course. It's a, and I, yes, it's at a talk show. That show is a show about behind the scenes of a talk show and the pathos of this ridiculous celebrity. My show is really about all the things that are going on in humanity, whether you're rich or poor, famous or not famous, and we're all struggling with the same social issues. Thus, I use a daytime talk show format to get into it. All right. Well, everyone should watch you go through that. Thank you. They should watch you on Morning Joe. Yes, they should. They should write you to run for mayor. Yes, they should. And they should watch. Right now we're on um, iTunes and On Demand, USA On Demand, because we're between seasons, season one of Donnie. Watch the show. It's It's a funny show. It's a smart show. And and also, if Trump gets the nomination, I do think you should go to work for the other side. It's as hard be, as you can. It, it's I think you should use all of your, like uh, Bonacera, The Undertaker, and yeah. The Godfather, you should use all right. of your skills. <laughs> I just watched, they ran yeah. 
five hours of one and two in, yes. in sequence. They re, I, I just, it's it's an opera. Every There's nothing better. There is nothing better. Every that is number. That's one. good. We can put the Godfather in the show notes. We should just put the Godfather in the show notes every week. By the way, because yes. it's there, even if it's not yes. uh, overtly there. But how do I get to see the rest of Billions before everybody else? Now that I've done a show, it is honestly. I'm so I. I'm not just saying because I'm here. That's why I was excited to come see you today. I love. That I'm show. so glad to hear that. Um, I think we can work out that you can see it. And can uh, we get Maggie Siff to leave her husband so I can marry her? Is there any way that? Because I just found out she was married. Because I literally looked her up. I said, I have to, I just fell in love with her as a female character on that show. I just, I think she is the ultimate woman. I agree. She's there. The I show. agree. I'm not saying her in real life. That character she plays. I was like, just find me one of those. In real life, she'll make you weak at the knees also, okay. man. <laughs> Unfortunately, her husband is a great, great guy. guy. Okay, well, he's right, a great time. guy. Fortunately, fortunately, you just wrote me right into your vision of the world. <laughs> I said, unfortunately. No, no, fortunately, fortunately for, for her. Unfortunately for me. She's yes. my close friend for a long time. Unfortunately for Unfortunately for, me. for you. But I wish fortunately nothing, nothing for her. but knock us out. The great, the great, <laughs> Going back to the great Donnie Deutsch, everybody. What a pleasure. You can follow him on Twitter at, what I are you on no Twitter? Idea. I don't know what they call that stuff. Find him on Twitter. <laughs> Suddenly he just became a 75-year-old Jewish man. I don't know, the Twitter box, whatever it is. How? Instagram, to... Donnie J. Deutsch. You find me there. I don't know. I got to, you know, I find hear this him. internet thing is here to stay. You can, it is, I think. You can find me at Brian Compliment on Twitter. Thanks for listening. See you next time.